So this really important uh, passage that we're looking at today, uh, we're in the second half of, um, of John's uh, gospel in chapter 2. Uh, we spent some time looking at the first half last week where we talked about uh, the Jesus turning water to wine, uh, powerful. Been praying for you this week. Maybe many of you stood up last week in looking for that change and praying for uh, what God wants you to do. We talked about uh, whatever he says to you, uh, do it. Uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, so what Jesus does in the last half of John 2, uh, I want to make sure that we, um, that we really get this today, uh, that we don't... Uh, you know, go too quickly. If we, if we get this picture of what he does in this second chapter, uh, the book of John, when he enters the temple, uh, it has incredible power uh, to change our lives. It's really a, a powerful kind of wake-up call uh, for us. So it's not just the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what he did 2,000 years ago when he went into the temple in Jerusalem. It's a powerful truth uh, that we can apply to our life today and recognize how God works in our life, how he brings about change and transformation. And part of that understanding is really getting a picture of what, what happens right here. So we're in John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. Uh, it's printed for you on your outline, and we'll look at it together. Instead of just reading the whole thing, we're going to read it as, as we go along, just as we've been doing. Uh, so verses start out in verses 12 and 13. It says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but when you read a verse like this, it starts out by telling us that Jesus and Jesus' mother and brothers and disciples go up to Capernaum, to Galilee. Uh, the next verse is talking about the Passover. And if, if you spent time studying the Bible, maybe you get to a verse and you wonder, well, why, why is that verse in the Bible? You know, it, uh, what exactly is happening there? He's going to make his way up to Jerusalem for the Passover, but it's telling us that He's kind of taken some days away um, as he went up to Capernaum and stayed a couple of days. Um, notice uh, what's happening here, what this verse shows us. First of all, it shows us that Jesus had a family. Uh, Jesus had his mom, Mary. Remember, we saw her uh, last week in the wedding and her involvement there. But it also mentions um, Jesus uh, has uh, brothers. Uh, actually, the Bible tells us in Mark 6 and in Matthew 13 that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, Matthew 13 names them, James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon, the brothers of Jesus, the son of Mary. Um, and those same verses mention a couple of sisters that are unnamed, uh, so we don't exactly know a lot about that. Uh, but we recognize that he has a family. That family at other times, uh, we recognize that they didn't really believe in him, and yet later uh, we have a, um, his his brother James, who writes one of the books of the of the New Testament, the book of James. Um, so it kind of gives us some perspective about about them, and then we notice that. Um, we, we learn from this verse that he's on his way to Jerusalem for uh, the Passover, and he's going to have this encounter uh, with the Pharisees. Now, one of the things I noticed is that not only did Jesus have a family, but Jesus knew how to pace his life. 
Um, one of the verses that is here is that he, um, he it says he went and he stayed a few days in Capernaum. What is he doing? He's, uh, he's taking time with his disciples. He's pacing his life. It's almost time for this celebration of the Passover. Um, you know, it's important that we maintain the right kind of pace in our life as well, right? Jesus is a, a good example of that. He's the son of God. He's come to earth, but he's not just rushing around to the very next thing and just wearing himself out. He takes time to rest. He takes time to pray. And so he's, um, he's exemplifying that for us there. He, he knew how to, uh, how to pace uh, his life. So the, the verse 13 tells us that when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, to understand this, kind of get oriented, it helps us to think a little bit about the, the Passover. Uh, you remember that from the Old Testament that this was a celebration of the Jewish people, uh, a celebration of when the death angel in Egypt during the plagues when they were in um, bondage in Egypt, how the angel came uh, and the plague was of the firstborn of the household and how the Israelites put blood on the doorpost of the houses as a sign of faith that God would protect them. And because of that, um, the angel passed over their houses and they were commanded every year to celebrate as a reminder of what God had done. And this was happening. Uh, the Jewish people are gathering there. Jesus' family went to Jerusalem for the Passover every year, we're told in Luke 2.41. Uh, John in his gospel mentions all three Passover celebrations uh, during the ministry of Jesus. We see this one in John 2.13, in John 6.4, Jesus uh, just after the feeding of the 5,000, and in John 12, 1, right after uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, we hear about this third one. So his family tradition was to be a part of this Passover. Um, so this is his first Passover during his ministry. When he's out beginning the process of his ministry, um, uh, we read about uh, how Jesus and his family are gathering there. You know, it was it was the tradition or an even uh, an expectation that by Jewish law, a male within 15 miles of Jerusalem was required uh, to go to the city for the Passover to bring his family. And every Jew tried to be there for this celebration. As a matter of fact, if you could think about it this way, uh, normally in this period of time, Jerusalem would have about 200,000 uh, residents that were there, but it would expand um, to and swell to about 2.25 million people during the Passover. Passover. You're talking about no room at the end. I mean, that's, uh, that's the idea here. I mean, you can imagine how these people were um, uh, basically just camping out as they made their way to Jerusalem for this celebration. So now, what, why is this story here? What's happening here? Verse 14 says, in the temple courts, he, meaning Jesus, found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. 
So the scene is Herod's temple. It was a magnificent structure on the outside, uh, very elaborate gold, silver, riches. It was in the courts of the temple. There were open areas there where people could gather, and obviously there was a lot of selling going on. It was kind of like uh, the public square inside of the temple there. And the, uh, in the middle of this public square, it wasn't a, a monument. It was a, uh, this whole place was a temple where God's presence was, was to be. And so there are people selling things. Um, Jesus saw two things that seemed to get him very upset and angry. Um, you know, don't you read this uh, section and you wonder, like, what's going on here? Uh, I'm sure the disciples thought that as well. I mean, you see that people are selling animals. Um, you know, when you, when you came to worship at the Passover, you came with a sacrifice or you came to offer a sacrifice. And not only did you have to have a sacrifice, it had to be a perfect sacrifice. There were guidelines about that. So if you, um, you know, I, I'm sure if you live, if you live 15 miles away or further, it would be pretty much troublesome to try to bring a, bring your sheep with you, right? You'd just be dragging the sheep all along. So, uh, but even if you did, whatever animal you brought for sacrifice had to be inspected by the priest because it had to be perfect, had to meet certain standards. Well, they charged for the inspection. So you had to pay for that. There was a temple tax uh, that had to be paid. And when you brought your animal, it was very rare that the inspection would them, that they would allow you to use your animal. They wanted you to buy their animals. Uh, so they, they got a racket going on, don't they? Uh, I was thinking, it sounds just like the world we live in, doesn't it? They get you involved in all this stuff. You know, uh, um, I won't tell you my stories, but uh, that's not what this is about. But it's, uh, we live in that kind of world, don't we? Uh, where there's a, uh, any kind of effort that, that somebody can think of, a way to try to separate us from our dollars, uh, even if they feel like they're trying to help us or reward us in some way, uh, there's usually a cost to that. And that's what's happening here. Now, it wasn't wrong for this service to be available, um, but it wasn't supposed to happen in the temple courts there to become like a flea market, don't you think? Uh, just like a big swap meet uh, is going on there. Now, you can imagine what was happening. For instance, um, the simplest sacrifice that could be brought would be like a dove. Um, and so there was, now a dove could be bought outside in a normal setting for about 15 cents. But at the uh, at the temple, if you waited to go to go in there uh, and had to buy your sacrifice, it might be fifteen dollars. So that's kind of the extortion uh, that's going on there. Also, they had to they had to pay the temple tax. Now, one of the problems that you see that section where it's talking about exchanging money. Uh, well, the reason was the Roman money had the picture of Caesar on it, and Caesar claimed to be a god, and so they wouldn't take Caesar's money at the temple because they said that's a false god. So you'd have to bring your Roman money and exchange it for temple money. 
Uh, and then they would charge you for that as well. So you can feel this whole thing that's going on. This is supposed to be a place of worship. This is a place of uh, drawing close to God. And here's there's uh, this struggle that's going on. The Sadducees, the leaders of the temple, the Pharisees. Um, someone wrote that they were clearing about $200,000 a year um, by having these uh, this uh, kind of extortion going on with the people. So our Savior, Jesus, walks in and sees what's going on and he's upset and he's angry and he begins to yell and for them to stop, I'm sure everything stopped. I mean, you got this man just yelling in the temple. Um, uh, he's uh, turning over the tables. I mean, you can imagine the scene that's here. People are making money. There's their livelihood. The priests are there. They're wondering what's going on. The scripture tells us that he got out a whip you know, don't you normally think about Jesus kind of as meek and mild and uh, maybe even uh, just kind of a soft, tender? No chance, man. He got the donkeys out of there. He got the cattle out of there. He got all those people. He turned over the tables. Um, he had this whip, and he is getting those people out of there. The sheep, the cattle, scattered the coins every year. What, what causes this, this anger to him? Um, how would you have felt if you were one of the disciples and you just met this guy and you're just beginning to hang out with him and now you go into the Passover and shot? It's probably kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, here he is. He's just gone crazy uh, telling them. What got him so angry? Well, I think there's several things. That, um, one thing is that you notice that he, he saw those things, the people selling animals and the people exchanging money. Also, uh, Deuteronomy 16.4 says, For seven days no trace of yeast shall be in their homes. What that means is that during this time leading up to the Passover, all the people in Jerusalem will be cleaning up their house. Um, the yeast was kind of a, a picture of uncleanness. Uh, the, the idea of yeast was used to talk about unclean. And so to be prepared for a spiritual cleansing that they were anticipating, there would be a physical cleaning. So it's like kind of doing some spring cleaning uh, at your house. They would get their houses all cleaned up. And so Jesus comes in. He knows that everybody's been out getting everything cleaned and ready so they can come to the temple. And then the temple looks like a mess, right? I mean, you get a bunch of animals. You get all that going on. It is, you ever been to a flea market that just really looked clean? Nope. Especially if you got all kind of cattle wandering around, all kind of sheep and animals there. And so, first of all, he recognized what was supposed to be a time of cleansing uh, had been taken advantage of. Um, you know, we, we see all this happening. So what, what do we kind of learn as, as we think about Jesus and his anger and uh, just some things to, uh, to, to kind of look at here? You know, there are times when it's right to be angry. Uh, some things demand a uh, response. It was, it was right for him. They had made what he called his father's house unclean. And there are things that he was upset about, how it was being treated, how the, how the church was clean. I'm going to come back to this thought a little bit as we kind of finish the message in a few minutes. Uh, another thing we see here is that uh, just because something is accepted by society does not mean it's acceptable to God. Uh, that's another th uh, thing that we could take from this. Um, you know, we all know that. You know, Christians down through the ages have tended to, to recognize that. You know, there's things that are accepted by our culture around us that are not acceptable to God. 
You know, we live in that kind of society uh, where everybody's doing that or everything should be acceptable, things that maybe weren't acceptable at one time. Um, You know, culture accepts many different things, um, but we have to figure out how we're going to respond to those things. Where are we? Who are we to be uh, in the midst of of the church? You know, we see it all the time, don't we? Um, You know, where we're having to understand uh, difficult things, maybe stuff that gets you riled up. You know, whether it's um, issues related to politics, um, you know, that, that can get people riled up. Maybe not you, but somebody next to you right there probably. Or maybe it's um, how people deal with um, gender identity and sexuality. You know, it puts the church in a tough place kind of in the middle right there, doesn't it? We're trying to figure out. Uh, what our response is. And I could list off a bunch, you know, we could talk about abortion or uh, the whole, uh, just uh, recognizing that we kind of got to figure out where we are. Here's, here's where I kind of been thinking about, um, you know, most of the time as a believer, if I take one side or the other, then I'm messed up. You know that? Because Jesus really doesn't side with either way. You know, we like to, we like to squeeze him into, um, you know, our own political perspective, our own views this way or that way. But the truth is, if you're going to be radically transformed by Jesus, most of the time you'll make both sides mad. We got to be careful about this kind of stuff, don't we? To recognize where he, because he, he wasn't siding with one or the other here. He got upset because something that was being accepted. Uh, so recognizing that. The third thing I noticed here, it's important to be spiritually correct rather than politically correct. Can I get a little amen? Are you going to leave me out here by myself? Okay. Um, that, uh, that's hard for us sometimes. You know, we want to be diplomatic. I'm especially like that. You know, I want, I want to build consensus and I want everybody to kind of, you know, you do the best that you can. But sometimes you got to stand for the truth, right? Sometimes you got to stand for what's right, uh, for the truth. That doesn't mean that we're, that we're hurting people or pushing people away, but just rem- reminded that he walks in and he drives out and he cleanses the temple. So here, here's the key point. Um, uh, the key question for this whole section of scripture is that our understanding of God in through Christ in this passage hinges on one question. Where is the temple of God today? Where is the temple of God today? Would you say that this is the temple of God? Uh, nope. The temple of God is you. The temple of God is our bodies. So, you know, we call this a sanctuary, right? Uh, That we come into the sanctuary. Really, this is just a room, right? Uh, This is a room that we've set aside uh, to worship God to come together because this is a room that houses sanctuaries. You're the sanctuary. He takes up residence in you. And so this room is a house for sanctuaries. You like that? It's a place where we gather because the Spirit of God uh, is in us. Uh, So Jesus comes into this moment and he reminds us uh, of who we are. It's a place where we recognize his presence with us. Who is the temple of God? Jesus, it says here, uh, he drove out uh, the temple. I mean, he drove out them from the temple. Um, You know, Christ looks at our life. He looks at your life. uh, He sees that there are difficulties. Uh, I heard this story about 
um, a, a lady that the other a few nights ago um, had heard uh, something in her house, and um, it seemed like it would be the during the cold weather, and there wouldn't be a but there was some kind of noise going on that woke her up. And so there was some kind of critter somewhere in the house there. Well, you know what she did was she woke her husband up and said, take care of that. Uh, go do that. So he went out and he took care of it. It was some kind of little, I don't know if it was a rat or whatever it was, something. Um, and so they, uh, they put out a little trap and next morning they, they had caught it. Um, next night, they're getting ready to go to bed. She says, uh, I don't want any more of those. And so I want you to set the trap again. And so he gets up and he goes and he does that. Why? Because she was absolutely certain that she didn't want that in her house. That's kind of the way Jesus is, right? Jesus comes into the temple of God and he doesn't want all these things that are distracting, things that are hindering people from being able to worship. But the implication is you're the temple. What is he saying to us about the impurities that we allow into our life? The things that we welcome in that desecrate the temple. The question for me becomes, what does Christ need to drive out of me if I'm the temple? What does Jesus need to drive uh, out of your life? God deals with us patiently, doesn't he? He comes to us with patience, but he will not put up with sin. He wants to work in bringing about change in us. So we don't mistake his patience for acceptance. This scripture is one of two places in the Bible that reminds us that Jesus cleanses the temple. Um, he comes and he cleanses at the beginning of his ministry here in John and then in Luke 19:45 at the end of his temp, end of his ministry he entered the temple area again and began to drive out those who were selling it is such a reminder to us didn't it that, that sometimes we give ourselves to God we ask God to bring cleansing to us but that old stuff sometimes comes back again and God has to continue this work of cleansing us. I'd like you to think this morning, as we get ready to close the service in just a few minutes, what kind of cleansing does the work of God need to do in you? What kind of transformation uh, does he desire? Now, I don't know what your response is going to be, but there were several responses that we can see here, and that leads us to the end of the section here. Verse 17 says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority uh, to do all this? So we see what's happening here is that the disciples are... Uh, reacting very differently than the Pharisees did. Uh, these reactions are a lot about understanding what Jesus was up to. When God comes and he challenges us about things in our life that he wants to clean, um, the, these disciples turn to Psalm 69, that quote about the zeal of the Lord's house, uh, where there's this desire of God to help us to be all that God wants us to be. Um, instead of questioning his authority, the disciples, they see the heart of Jesus. They saw his heart, that he wanted to bring about change, that he wanted to bring about the change in their life. They wanted to, uh, they're admitting, they're recognizing the need to be cleansed in that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't see it that way. They challenged the authority of Jesus. 
They, disciples saw the heart. The Pharisees challenged the authority of Jesus. You know, when we think about our own response to Christ, we have to ask ourselves, why do we resist him when he seeks to cleanse the temple of our lives? You know, for many, Satan loves to continue to bring these places of uncleanness into our own life. And how do we develop zeal or passion uh, for the Lord uh, in us as he wants to work within us. Jesus came and he cleansed the temple and he wants to bring cleansing uh, to us as his temple. Uh, how do we do that? Sorry about that. We certainly uh, honor him uh, in his house. We honor him through prayer. We honor him as we give our lives completely to him. The Bible says in the New Testament, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify God with your body, for your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation. That's the recognition of what he wants to do in us. Verses 19 to 22, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know, they didn't get it. He's giving an example here. Uh, he's saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And they're saying it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. How can you do that? This temple. Notice he's not just recognizing that the New Testament is going to call us the temple of God, the, the, the presence of God is going to dwell with us. But who's the temple? Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the one that represents uh, the presence of God. Uh, you know, when Jesus came and died on the cross, the presence of God moved from the temple. Remember, the veil was torn in two as a, a, a sim symbol of recognizing that no longer was God going to just reside in a building somewhere, but now was going to take up residence in those that were believing in him, that would trust him. And so here's Jesus uh, at the beginning of his ministry recognizing that he is going to be raised from the dead. The disciples didn't quite get it right then, but it says later they realized that he was talking about himself as the temple and that he would be raised uh, from the dead. He would be raised to great power. The New Testament, our bodies have become the temple of God. The Old Testament, the temple represented the presence of God. And Jesus already knows the end of the story. He didn't have to figure out God's will. He simply had to live out God's will. And later, the disciples figured it out. You know, sometimes you don't always understand what God is up to in your life. Is that true? You know, you know a lot of times I don't really know why things are happening. Sometimes we ask that kind of question. But I realize a lot of times it's because uh, I'll understand it somewhat later. Have you ever said, maybe that's why that was going on? There was this... Uh, preparation. God was preparing me for whatever things that I'm going to be dealing with in my life. And so there's a, you know, one of the reasons for not always understanding is recognizing that he is preparing me uh, for something uh, that's coming. So Christ is working in the midst of us and working in the temple here. The final verses say, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. 
But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That's the verse I'd like you to end focusing on, the memory verse, John 2, uh, 25. Uh, We're going to say that verse together. It's kind of highlighted for you on your notes there. Um, We'll say the reference and then say the verse uh, and then say the reference again. Would you say this with me? Ready? John 2, 25. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. John 2, 25. Jesus is saying uh, he wants you to, that he can't entrust himself to people, that he wanted to make sure that we entrust ourselves uh, to God, to God alone. Do you know that uh, Jesus knows everything about you? That's what that scripture says. He knew what was in every uh, person. Uh, He knows all of your good traits, and he knows all your bad. He knows how you grew up. He knows what you're dealing with. One of the things I think that's interesting in this scripture is that maybe one of the reasons that he gets so upset about what's happening at the temple is don't you think all that was happening there that was making it more difficult for people to come to God? It was making it harder. Here they had to think about, did did they have enough money and what were all the different trappings that were going on there and they were using it as well. I think maybe that's the real essence of the problem is that they were creating barriers to getting to God to being able to worship God. That, that was a physical thing. Don't you think that happens spiritually to us? There are things in our life that hinder us getting to God. That's really Satan's job, isn't it? Is to do anything he can to distract you. Anything he can to cause you to have distance from God. It's a physical scene there, but it's a spiritual scene in your life. This, this scripture's really been bugging me. You know why? Last week, he's so kind. He, he's so open. He does this incredible miracle. You know what he says to the servants? Whatever he says to you, do it, Mary says. And then he says, you get to participate in the miracle. You know what he did? He said, all you got to do is just fill up the water pots. Fill them up to the brim. Boy, that's a nice miracle, isn't it? And then I get to this one. Because we stood up, a lot of us, last week, right? We stood up because we were thinking about change and how God could bring about that kind of change in our life. And we've been praying about those things. But... as I was thinking about it, I, th- I thought that many of you are maybe were praying about a situation or praying about a person or some circumstance that just isn't being changed. That's totally appropriate. But I don't think that's what's going on this week. This week, he's looking into me as his temple. And he's saying, you know, there's some things that I allow in my life 
that become barriers between me and God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? I know you're here this morning. I know you're watching on live stream. But do you know that Jesus wants to bring about change, healing? He wants to take away all that stuff that's distracting us and clean the temple. I realized that I would much rather be changed in the first half of John 2 than the wait around for him to get the whip out. <laughs> Let's stand up together. This is a hard scripture because Jesus does not, is not willing for the impurities, the barriers the things that you welcome into your life. He's not willing. You know, Jesus loves you as you are, but he's not willing to let you stay there. He comes to us in a strong way. And he says, some of those things that you've been holding on to, some of those things that have hurt you that are continuing to be barriers to God, he's asking you, let's, let's clean this temple. Let's clean this up. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? I just want you to know that we have an altar in the church. You know, some days it is, it's the right thing to stand up like last week. But once in a while, he gets the whip out. He says, we need to do something about that. So as we close this service this morning, I just want you to know, if you need God, if he's asking to cleanse something out of your life, maybe you need to come and kneel here. You can start coming right now. If God is speaking to you, I'd love to have a prayer for us together. Maybe you're watching it at home today because of the weather. Maybe you need to get on your knees right where you are this morning and let him cleanse the temple. Not just physically, but spiritually in your life. Nobody looking around. If you want to come and kneel here for a moment for a prayer, I just invite, sometimes when you step out, that's going to be the, mo the not just an easy ability to stand up, but to recognizing God wants to do something to cleanse and to bring healing and then remove a barrier that's been in the way in your life. Anybody that wants to respond, I wanted to give you that opportunity this morning to reach out to him, to say, I'm willing to be cleaned. I'm willing for you to work in this situation in my life. I'm willing not just to pray for change in somebody else, but I need you to bring that kind of change in me. I know he's speaking to you. I know he's speaking to some in this room right now. Be courageous. Draw near to him. Respond to him this morning. Let him get rid of it. Let him run it out. Let him bring that cleansing to his temple. Wait just for another moment. Invite you to come.
any barriers, anything in the way, anything that's hindering you. Coming to an altar has nothing to do with joining the church or, or anything related to the, just the that. It's about you and Jesus. He comes. He says, I want to get rid of those things. I don't want you to have to live with those. Those things are barriers. Let's pray and let's seek him together. Have you done what he wanted you to do? Thank you for coming. Still with your eyes closed. Maybe you would say, um, you know, Pastor, um, I didn't come, but I need you to include me in the prayer. Uh, I'm praying about some barriers in my own life. Do you just lift your hand? Just, just include me in the prayer. I'll just look at you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you right there. Anybody else? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thank you. Anyone else? Just include me, Pastor. Lord Jesus, this is a scary passage. <laughs> These people were churchgoers, some of them were church leaders. And here they are in the temple. And you're just totally frustrated because of the barriers to getting to God that have been put in place. The, the struggles there, the, the, the frustration and anger that you felt and your desire to clean your temple. Lord, this morning, as we read this passage, we don't want to wait as your temple for you to have to get out a whip to deal with impurity, to deal with barriers, to deal with circumstances and issues that, that are causing us to, to, to find some separation from you. So today, I pray for my friends today, Lord. Because maybe they're feeling what I've been feeling. And I want my temple to be clean. I want you to take away any of those things that are part of our life or are part of our thinking that get into our minds. Things, Lord, that maybe nobody else even knows about. And we're not, we're not here to tell those things today, Lord. We're here to just have a conversation, an encounter with you. Oh, Lord. Clean your temple. Take away the barriers. Heal us from those things that cause us brokenness and maybe they're sinful things, Lord, that, if, that we've allowed and that we've welcomed in. So I pray it for all those that are kneeling here. Thank you for their courage. Thank you for their willingness to step out. Thank you for those that are kneeling beside their couch this morning uh, that are just watching this service. And I pray that this morning, wherever we are, that, Lord, we would welcome a clean temple. Glory to God.
break the power of impurities or sinfulness or barriers that have hindered us in our walk with you. We love you today, Lord, and we celebrate you, and we thank you that you love us so much. You know us intimately better than anyone else, and you want to work in us. We are your temple. Thank you that Jesus cleans temples. In Jesus' name, would you let your amen be an affirmation of what you received from him today and allow that to be transforming to us? In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen, amen. amen.